Our gospel reading comes from the book of Luke, chapter 10, verse 38 through 42. Let us listen for the word of the Lord. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. She had a sister named Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to what he was saying. But Martha was distracted by her many tasks, so she came to him and asked, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and distracted by many things. There is need of only one thing. Mary has chosen the better part, which will not be taken away from her. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Like the story of the man in the ditch and the Samaritan, which we heard last week, the story of Mary and Martha is one we tend to pop out of context, look at it, read it, and then pop back in. Mary and Martha, these two sisters have been pitted against each other since the story was first told. Artists depict the two, contrasting them, often making Mary an enduring ingenue gazing up at Jesus while Martha grimaces in the kitchen, an increasingly haranguing harridan. In women's Bible studies, you are often asked to reflect on whether you are more of a Mary or a Martha, which honestly is a trick question. Almost everyone answers Martha. It feels like you should answer Martha. We live in a time, particularly if you are female or particularly if you're trying to get ahead in this 21st century economy, we live in a time where it can feel like we're all supposed to be Marthas, eagerly, effortlessly. We are supposed to be bustling around doing a thousand different things, taking care of our to-do list 24-7, making sure everyone is happy. As a friend recently pointed out, if someone asks you how you're doing and you do not say, oh, busy or stressed, it can feel like you're doing something wrong. However, I was with a group of clergy, clergy women, on Tuesday for coffee, and we all admitted a little sheepishly that if asked to choose which one, we would all say Mary. It makes sense. We are ordained clergy who have chosen to do what Mary did, join with other disciples in reflecting and learning, studying what Jesus said. Over the years, I've needed to learn how to put down the book and stop thinking on my own and roll up my sleeves and get to work. Well, also, I want to say one more thing, and this is going to be very unsurprising, but it's still worth saying. I believe that women are called to full and deep and expansive versions of ordained ministry and I believe that this call is backed up by scriptural witness like this passage. While the Roman Catholics and the Southern Baptists, while Hope Church and Remnant Church and a few other congregations here would disagree with me, I believe that women are called as pastors, as preachers, as ministers of the word and sacrament for women and for men. I believe that the scriptures show us this through the example of people, women like Mary and Martha and Joanna and Lydia and Mary Magdalene and Susanna. Jesus and the early church called these women into life-giving forms of service and study in times 
when these roles were severely limited for women. In Scripture, Jesus calls upon their gifts to help strengthen his own work in the world. He allows Mary to sit at his feet as a dedicated student would sit with a mentoring teacher. He asks Mary Magdalene to share the good news of his resurrection with his disciples. So if Mary Magdalene had not preached to those men, how would we even have the story of Easter today? I lift this up because texts like this one in Luke form the backbone of my own call as well as the call of women I know. But this text is not all on its own, swimming in a bubble in the middle of Luke. And in the end, I do not believe this text is about pitting one type of person against another. This text, like the one before, like the one that comes after, is about trying to figure out how to be a disciple, trying to figure out how to follow Jesus the Christ in a distracting and disorienting world. So instead of contrasting Mary and Martha from each other, I want instead to put them into connection with other disciples throughout the Gospels. First, I see a lot of similarities between Mary and John. John appears many times in the texts of the Gospels, but often he is quiet. Like Mary, Jesus calls John into new dimensions of relationship, into new depths of discipleship. But like Mary, John does not speak a lot. We mainly see him by seeing the way that Jesus reaches out to him, by hearing that Jesus loves him. This is what we hear about Mary as well. As for Martha, the disciple that I see Martha having a lot in common with is Peter. Both are task-oriented. Both declare their support of Jesus early and often, ready to give much to follow him. We hear multiple times that Martha opens her home to Jesus. Both Martha and Peter really want to do the right thing, to give the right answer when Jesus asks. They are eager and attentive, and they also both seem to have a hot streak of righteous indignation. Both both Martha and Peter love Jesus, but they also seem to get a little frustrated by him at times. What are you doing Why aren't you doing something about this? We can imagine them crying out, both of them, whether it is in a room where there are many tasks to be done or where it's a garden when soldiers show up with an arrest warrant. Martha and Peter take discipleship very seriously even when they mess up, and Jesus loves them for it. But sometimes Jesus has to correct them. Sometimes Martha and Peter can get so tangled up in their own good intentions, their own belief about what discipleship looks like, that they trip over their own two feet. Jesus has to pick them up, dust them off, straighten them out, and point them in a healthier, more fruitful, more faithful direction. We see this with Peter when he decides to step out of the boat during a storm Perhaps you remember the story, the one where Peter says all the right things and boldly steps out of the boat, ready to walk on water, but then the text says he gets distracted by the wind and the waves, overwhelmed by all that is happening around him, and he starts to flail and flounder. Jesus has to literally reach out and hoist him back into the boat. 
In a less dramatic fashion, we see Martha doing the same thing here. Jesus is not chastising her for doing the housework. This is a misreading of the text. He and his disciples depend on the support of people like Martha. They are homeless, itinerant teachers. Elsewhere, Jesus praises hosts who offer the hospitality that Martha is offering. He needs her. To depict Martha as a nagging housewife is a cultural assumption based in misogyny, not gospel truth. Here, Jesus makes no comment about the work she is doing until she bursts forth with triangulating annoyance. Rather than talking to Mary herself, Jesus, Martha asks Jesus to chastise her sister. Like Peter, Martha has gotten distracted by many things. Like Peter, Martha needs to be gently corrected and shown another way of living. Jesus responds with her name, a sign of intimacy. She is not just another host. She is a known friend and disciple. Martha, Martha, you are worried and distracted by many things. There is need of only one thing. And here what we translate as the better, the better part for Mary, what Mary has given, could also be translated as the good share. So Jesus is saying, Mary has chosen the good share, and it shall not be taken from her. Here, the contrast is less between two different personalities, between cooking and contemplation, and it is more about the intention that is going on behind these two different ways of being a disciple. Mary is focusing on one thing. Martha is distracted by many things. In this moment, Mary is focusing on Jesus, and that is the better part, the good share. Martha is learning that there is not just one way to be a disciple in the world. In the end, all discipleship should lead us to deepen and strengthen our relationship with Jesus the Christ, the teaching he offers, the example he sets, the people he calls into community. At different times, both Martha and Peter show us what distracted discipleship looks like. This story comes immediately after the story of the good neighbor, which we heard last week. This is no accident. In that story, we had a lawyer who wanted to sit and debate with Jesus about the merits of the law. Jesus told him to go forth into the world and show mercy as a neighbor to others. The lawyer wanted to have a debate, and Jesus told him to get to work. And now we get this story, a story that can seem to come to the opposite conclusion— if we look at each story and exclusion all on their own, we could glean entirely different lessons. But if we read them together, we hear different things. As Fred Craddock, a Presbyterian preacher, puts it, there is a time to go and do, and there is a time to listen and reflect, knowing which and when is a matter of spiritual discernment. If we are to ask Jesus which example applies to us, his answer would probably be yes. This is why we do not look at scriptures in a bubble. This is why we return to these stories week after week, year after year, turning them over in our minds and hearts, seeing how they connect to new strands of thought, to new experiences we have, to new weavings of faith. 
This is why it is less helpful to see the story of Mary and Martha as a certain personality quiz, and more helpful to see it as a portrait of discipleship. Our discipleship will look different at different times and in different places. Being a disciple is not about one well-cooked meal or one dramatic act of faith. It is the work of a lifetime. It is the daily decisions, the daily choices, which lead us to err on the side of faith and hope and love. Our community of faith is the place where we work out what these decisions look like in real time. It is the place where we are supported and stretched. So then we can go forth and try to make choices that follow Jesus, whether we are traveling far or staying at home, whether we are sitting with neighbors, with friends, or with strangers. One of my favorite poets is Naomi Shihab Nye. In much of her work, Nye explores the tensions of culture, spirituality, land, and hope. She comes by this because of her background, she is the daughter of a Palestinian father who was forced to abandon his home in 1948, and a Missouri mother who chose to flee her deeply conservative Lutheran home around the same time. I find that Nye has fascinating things to say about hospitality, about welcome, about welcoming others and letting that one welcome be the thing that defines your day, your community, and your life. Here's a piece that she wrote a few years ago. It is about focused hospitality, an unexpected sacrament, and the irresistible grace of community. It's called Gate A4. Wandering around the Albuquerque airport terminal, after learning my flight had been delayed four hours, I heard an announcement. If anyone in the vicinity of gate A4 understands any Arabic, please come to the gate immediately. Well, one pauses these days. Gate A4 was my own gate. I went there. An older woman in full traditional Palestinian embroidered dress, just like my grandma wore, was crumpled to the floor, wailing. Help, said the flight attendant. Talk to her. What is her problem? We told her the flight was going to be late, and she did this. I stooped to put my arm around the woman and spoke haltingly in Arabic. The minute she heard any words she knew, however poorly used, she stopped crying. She thought the flight had been canceled entirely. She needed to be in El Paso for major medical treatment the next day. I said, no, you're fine, we're fine. You'll get there later. Just later, who's picking you up? Let's call him. We called her son. I spoke with him in English. I told him I would stay with his mother till we got on the plane and I would ride next to her. She talked to him. Then we called her other sons just for the fun of it. Then we called my dad and he and she spoke for a while in Arabic and found, of course, they had 10 shared friends. Then I thought, just for the heck of it, why not call some Palestinian poets I know and let them chat with her? This all took up two hours. She was laughing a lot by then, telling of her life, patting my knee, answering questions. She had pulled a sack of homemade mamul cookies, little powdered sugar crumbly mounds stuffed with dates and nuts from her bag, and she was offering it to all the women at the gate. 
To my amazement, not a single woman declined these cookies. It was like a sacrament. The traveler from Argentina, the mom from California, the lovely woman from Laredo, we are all covered with the same powdered sugar and smiling. There is no better cookie. And then the airline broke out free apple juice from huge coolers, and two little girls from our flight ran around serving it, and they were covered with powdered sugar too. And I noticed my new best friend, because by now we were holding hands, had a potted plant poking out of her bag, some medicinal thing with green furry leaves, such an old country tradition, always carry a plant, always stay rooted to somewhere. And I looked around that gate of late and weary ones, and I thought, this is the world I want to live in, the shared world. Not a single person in that gate, once the crying of confusion stopped, seemed apprehensive about any other person. They took the cookies. I wanted to hug all of those other women, too. This can still happen anywhere. Not everything is lost. If you are distracted today, if you have things on your mind, many things, if hospitality is a burden on your shoulder and a yoke around your neck, if anxiety is a nagging voice at your shoulder and a pit in your stomach, if discipleship seems like just one more thing you're about to fail, and faith seems like one more thing you're about to lose, then hear this text today and know you are not alone. You are not alone. You join a long history of disciples who have needed to be picked up and dusted off and put back on the path of more love and grace, grace towards others and grace towards themselves. We are not alone. Through others, through strangers and friends, through the small, quiet voice at the center of our heart that speaks in the middle of a distracting, disorienting world, we can still hear Jesus calling us by name. This can happen anywhere. Not everything is lost. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Lord, we are all trying to live as disciples, as Martha and Peter, as Mary and John, as human beings who will stumble and fall. You meet us where we are, whether we are standing tall or crumbled in a heap. Show us the fruitful, faithful path once again as we prepare to leave these pews and go forth into the world. Show us how to be focused on the thing that truly matters. You, you your love, your grace, and your abiding presence. In your holy name we pray. Amen.